Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This upcoming UFC event is in Norfolk, Virginia. It is maybe not the most exciting main card, but nevertheless, we are here to break down not the main card, but rather the prelims, which, to be honest with you, I actually think are more exciting. But for those of you who are wondering, why not break down the main card? Why not break down this flyweight title fight that caps off this show? The the answer is really simple, right? First of all, this is the prelim primer, not the main card primer. And second of all, we feel that you probably already have a place where you go to check out your main card breakdowns and to get information about those fights. And you probably don't have a place where you go get information on the prelims. And that's what we're here to fill in because we think there's a lot of value in gambling and doing daily fantasy sports on the prelim portion of the card. So we're here to help you out with that. And speaking of help, I do want to tell you about our sponsor. We are sponsored by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social, is going to help you out in meeting your martial arts goals. So let me tell you the first step to getting some help in whatever martial art you train, because they have 35 different martial arts on their apps. The first step is going to wherever it is you get an app, and you download Maroon Social. From there, you're going to set up your profile with your instructor, where you train, your belt level, and your name. And from there, you're going to log training sessions. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on one of the breaks in between our show But before we get to those breaks, we obviously got to get to the meat of the show, which is round number one. And joining me today is my special co-host from Fansided MMA. I'm joined today by Benjamin Abrigo. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Happy to be here, man. All right. And as you guys know, to start every single round, we're going to put five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Brandon Allen versus Tom Breeze. So Brandon Allen won his UFC debut by rear naked choke over Kevin Holland. Uh, He also got to the UFC with a rear naked choke over Aaron Jeffrey on the Contender Series. Tom Breeze last won with a KO over Dan Kelly, but that was in May of 2018. And that itself was off of a two-year layoff. So he had a two-year layoff following a fight and then another two-year layoff after that fight. Now, here's my take on this fight. It's sort of unconventional, but Brandon Allen, to me, is how we felt about Tom Breeze before all of these injuries and before all of these layoffs. How does that sound to you? I think to a degree that's that's right. I think we're definitely – I think everybody is rightfully high on Brandon Allen. He is – he certainly appears to be a fantastic athlete. Obviously, he has some big wins already in his career. And, and really, before he came to the UFC, only ever lost to the best guys – um, so I think the, that's a fair comparison. I think there are some, some minor differences in their styles, but I think it's fair to say that we're high on Brendan Allen, just like we were on Tom Breeze. Yeah. And what would you say is the biggest difference between the way the two fight? I think right now, uh, Tom Breeze, at least again, with the caveat that he doesn't fight that much, uh, is the more technical grappler. Uh, I think Brendan Allen, uh, obviously has good submission skills, uh, but I think he relies a little bit more on his athleticism at this point in his career. I think they're they're similar fighters in, in terms of their ability to strike and grapple, but they both, I think, prefer to grapple, and I think Tom Breeze has the advantage there. Yeah, I kind of agree with you, too, and I, I think you mentioned the technicality of Tom Breeze being a big thing. To me, I, the way that I see it, biggest difference is that Brandon Allen forces his takedowns, like you said, with his athleticism, and as a result... Do you feel like his takedowns will work against the guy who has, you, you know, like you said, probably superior grappling? 
I think if they do work, I, I see Tom Breeze still being able to either sweep or scramble to get on top in those extended grappling exchanges. So then here's my question. Do you think Brandon Allen will try to force the grappling here, or do you think this is one that he could and should keep standing? I feel like this is one he could and probably should keep standing, but I think from what I've seen, I think his instinct is going to be to grapple. Um, and I think even if he doesn't force it, I think Tom Breeze is crafty enough, has enough experience to create those situations in his favor. All right. So if it does become a grappling match, as you so expect it, what's your prediction here? How do you see this one ending? I'm going to go Tom Breeze by decision. I think he maybe takes the back a couple times and, and really solidifies position in, in rounds. Interesting, interesting. I, I'm going to go with uh, – my gut just tells me to pick Brendan Allen here just because I think – you know, you mentioned the athleticism. I, I think the athleticism steals him a couple of rounds here, and I, I'm worried about Brees, especially with the layoff. And, and, you know, his last win was over Dan Kelly. Like, what, you know, it feels like forever ago that Dan Kelly was in the UFC. So I, I'm going to go with Brendan Allen by decision on this one, but I, I could certainly see a good Tom Brees taking him out here. And that brings us to our second fight, which is the heavyweight division. We got Marcin Tabura versus Sergei Spivak. Tybura has lost four out of his last five, although those four are to Verdum, Derek Lewis, Shamil Abdurakahimov, and Augusto Sakai. Now, KOs on the last three of those. He did beat Stefan Struve smack dab in the middle of those four losses. Sergei Spivak lost in his UFC debut to Walt Harris, but then he got an arm triangle in his last time out against Tai Tui Vasa. Now, Tybura comes to the UFC with us all talking about his ground game being phenomenal, right? Like people thought that his submission game was going to change, you know, the way a lot of people thought about heavyweight. Is it still there? And is there any chance he goes to it here? Man, I don't know if it's still there. I don't know if he is still there as a fighter. I I was very kind of underwhelmed by his last two performances. I think he could maybe try to try to go to the grappling here against Spivak. Um, I know Spivak is a, is a good wrestler. He didn't seem super well schooled on the ground in terms of like positional exchanges and submissions. Um, but I'm just not sold on Tybura as an athlete at this point. He looked totally just overwhelmed against Augusto Sakai. He looked like he didn't know how to approach that fight. Um, he is looking really kind of wonky on the feet lately. I don't, I know this could be a close fight, especially with Tybura's uh, pedigree and his experience, but I see him having all kinds of problems with Spivak here. Uh, I definitely agree with you. And my biggest worry about Tybura is his reluctancy to grapple, right? Like, it, it doesn't seem like he's even interested in grappling, right? Like, he didn't attempt to take down, albeit it was a short fight with Augusto Sakai. He didn't attempt to take down in that fight. You know, he didn't attempt to take down in Shamil, against Shamil Abdurakahimov. He did against Stefan Struve, but, like, is that even the right move against Stefan Struve, right? So, you know, like, it, it seems like his, his thought process is all off. And, and here he is fighting Spivak, who, like you said, seems to be at least an adequate wrestler. You know, I just see Tybura here either tiring out, you know, in the second or third round and getting starched here, or just fighting the the dumbest fight you've ever seen and getting getting tagged at some point. So, uh, yeah, I'm leaning Spivak. It sounds like you are too. How do you see him getting it done? I got Spivak by second round TKO, very similar to what he did against Tai Tuivasa, who's a really huge heavyweight. And I think if Spivak could beat Tai Tuivasa, could make him quit, then he can do that to Marcin Tybura here. 100% agree, and I'm going to take a second round TKO as well. And that's going to do it for the end of the first round. We're going to take a quick break, talk to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with round number two. All right, so at the top of the show, I instructed you to go download the Maroon Social app. Hopefully you already did that. And if you did so, let me talk to you about some of the cool features that you can now access. One of the things you can do is you can log your training sessions. And this is what you're going to do. Once you 
gone to a training session, once you've done some jiu-jitsu or maybe some boxing or whatever martial art you're into, you're going to hit the log session box or the little plus sign at the bottom. And from there, you can talk about how long you trained, how much of that was instructional, how much of that was sparring. You can leave yourself little notes. You can tag what different activities you did so maybe you worked on triangle chokes tag triangle chokes because then later you can go back and search for all the times you did triangle chokes and also later on you can go back and look at all the times you trained week to week month to month to make sure that you're making the advances that you want to make and so that you can go look back at your notes it's a really great function and it's a really great thing to have i highly suggest it over having things like you know a jiu-jitsu journal or a martial arts journal if that's what you keep so Check it out, Maroon Social. Now, back for round number two. And we are back with round number two. I'm gonna put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Jordan Griffin versus TJ Brown. So Jordan Griffin, 0-2 in the UFC, but he's got decision losses to both Chaz Skelly and Dan Ige. Certainly no shame in either of those. TJ Brown's going to be making his UFC debut at 14-6. He got to the UFC by getting an arm triangle choke on Dylan Lockard back in the Contender Series, the last episode of the Contender Series in this past season. I went back and watched that fight with TJ Brown, and I have to say, his takedown game is one of the most unconventional things that I saw, and really was the only thing that led him to that win, right? Like, he was not looking real great on the feet against Dylan Lockard. Is there any chance that that unconventional takedown game here works against somebody like Jordan Griffin? Man, I think I would be pretty surprised. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that he had that unconventional takedown game in that contender series fight. I think the biggest takeaway for for TJ Brown from that fight is that he has a lot of poise. I think he probably deserves to be in the UFC. Um, But here up against Jordan Griffin, I would be surprised if he's able to implement, to really take over the fight. I know, and you kind of mentioned it, Jordan Griffin, 0-2 in the UFC, but two really close competitive fights against two really good featherweights. Um, like what Chaz Skelly did to Jordan Griffin, control him grappling-wise, I really would be would be pretty shocked if TJ Brown is able to do that here. Yeah, and you, you mentioned too in there that he has trouble taking over the control of the fight. If you go back to that Contender Series fight too, because this is something I forgot about, he was almost getting positionally dominated by Dylan Lockard, who is not necessarily the most impressive wrestler, grappler out there. He was getting positionally controlled by him until he landed an illegal knee to the head that lost him points, and eventually he had to finish the fight or else he wasn't going to get the win. So, you know, like that's worth mentioning as well. I'm not saying he's a dirty fighter or anything like that, but the fact that he was having trouble controlling somebody like Dylan Lockard to me means he's going to have a lot of trouble controlling Jordan Griffin, who who has faced really tough competition. So, you know, I, I see Jordan Griffin as a guy who's both tough to get out of there and is a tough day grappling for just about anybody. So uh, it sounds like you're leaning Griffin with me. Uh, let's get a fish, official prediction here. I'm actually going to go Griffin by, we'll say, third-round submission because TJ Brown has a few submission losses on his record, um, and I think Griffin just has better overall grappling. All right, I'm going to go Jordan Griffin by decision. I think he's tough enough to stay in there for three rounds with Jordan Griffin, but I don't see him uh, pulling out the decision here. And that brings us to our next fight, which is Alon Cruz versus Spike Carlisle, both men making their debuts. Cruz, 8-1. He most recently beat Fortis MMA product Steven Wynn by flying knee back on the Contender Series. Spike Carlisle, 8-2, making his debut. He last won in November in a company called LXF, which I had never heard of until I started doing some research on Spike Carlisle. And uh, although he did win back in August in LFA2, which was a first round spinning back fist KO, uh, 
Now, in looking at these two's last couple of fights, the thing that stuck out to me is the wild size discrepancy. There, there's at least five inches of height, and that's the listed height on the fighters, and probably more of reach. Is there a chance that Carlisle can get close enough to Alon Cruz to do anything here? I mean, he might be able to. He is kind of a wild man. I think he, he will be a fun fight. Whether he's successful or not, I'm not so sure. Uh, the height discrepancy is a, is a big deal here. But I think bottom line, like neither of these guys have a ton of high-level experience. This is a really – for me at least, this is a difficult fight to predict. Especially, like I said, Spike Carlisle is, is a bit of a wild man. He will do some really unconventional things in the cage. Uh, but he needs it in the clinch. He, ne- he needs to, to work his takedowns. And I'm not entirely sure he's going to be able to do that here against Elon Cruz, who, despite that spectacular knockout he had on the Contender Series, I was not super impressed with Elon Cruz up to that point. Um, that said, I think that the height discrepancy and Elon Cruz's kicking game is really going to be a problem for Spike for uh, Spike Carlisle. I'm glad you said that you weren't that impressed with him, too, because I went back and watched that fight and I thought to myself, I think Alon Cruz, A, was losing that fight, and B, I wound up after watching the fight being higher on Steven Wynn. I'm like, where's Steven Wynn now? Like, I want to see him in the UFC instead of Alon Cruz, which is, is kind of harsh. But then, like, I went back and watched Spike Carlisle's fight in, in LFA, the spinning back fist knockout over Matthew, and I'm going to slaughter his last name, Cole Quinn. Uh, but I, I thought the same thing there, too. I thought Carlisle's opponent looked better until he hit that spinning back fist. So, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that Carlisle is a wild man and he does some unconventional things. And I think that that's the difference maker here, too, is I, I think Alon Cruz is the guy who does things technically right. He's the guy who, you know, keeps the distance. He's the guy who uses leg kicks the way he's supposed to and teep kicks the way he's supposed to. And as a result, I think the guy who does the thing that he's supposed to here probably wins. Um, do you got a prediction for me on how he wins? I think Cruz by early stoppage, like first round TKO, catching Carlisle doing something crazy coming in. Yeah, I kind of agree on that one too. You know, he showed he's got knockout power. If you look at his record, he's got knockout power. And I just don't think Carlisle is defensive enough to not get tagged. And that's going to do it for the end of the second round. We're going to take a quick break, talk to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, so earlier on in the show, we got you to download the Maroon Social app. We told you about logging those training sessions. Let's tell you about another cool function. So for me, I always forget about when I competed. The other day, I tried to tell one of my buddies a story about when I competed, and I couldn't remember what year it was, never mind what month it was or what date it was, and I couldn't remember the location or anything like that. Maroon Social has got you covered in that because you can log all of your competitions in there. That's right. You can log all of your competitions and by doing so, you can even see some of your friends who are going to those same competitions. So check out that function as well as functions like being able to tag your friends, checking on your weight and keeping a place where you have goal weights. There's so many things you can do on Maroon Social. I highly suggest it, but competition one is certainly my favorite. Check them all out, Maroon Social. Now let's head back for round number three. And we are back with round number three. Going to put up another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about the fight I am the most excited for on the whole damn card. And that's Ishmael Nardiev versus Sean Brady. So Nardiev has kind of had a back and forth UFC career. He started off by beating Michelle Pujeris on short notice. Then he lost to Chance Rancounter and then beat C.R. Bahadur Zara all by decision. Sean Brady took a decision victory in his UFC debut back in October over Court McGee. 
Now, uh, Nardiev, I'm up and down on him every single time I watch him. He seems to have had trouble, and maybe I'm wrong about this, with the only guy who can match his intensity on the ground in, in Ren Counter. Do you think that Brady can duplicate Ren Counter's game plan? I think that's a fair read, first of all, that, that Nardiev had trouble with somebody who was just more physical or, or could match his physicality. And yeah, I do think Sean Brady can actually do that. Um, I don't think he's nearly as technical of a of a grappler and definitely not as technical of a wrestler as Nardiev, but Sean Brady is an absolute physical specimen. I think he's grown into the, the weight class a little bit better. I mean, Nardiev is still like 23, 24. Um, I, I get the sense he's a guy who's still physically developing, whereas Sean Brady is already there. He is completely in his athletic prime, and while he might not be as technical as Nardiev, um, I see him kind of doing a lot of similar things that that Chance Rencounter did, only maybe even a little bit better, to be honest. So here's the question, too. Now, now if he does what Rencounter does, he would dominate a top wrestling game and, and sort of cancel out Nardiev's offense in all of that. What if the wrestling cancels out? How do you see them on the feet? Because Nardiev is a flashy striker. Brady, much, much more, you know, basic fundamentals, rote striking. H- how do you see this one playing out if it does stay on the feet? Even then, I think I give Sean Brady the edge uh, just on the basis of of his performance, honestly, against Court McGee. I think both both these guys are coming off pretty impressive wins over veterans. Uh, I was just a little bit more impressed with Sean Brady's win over Court McGee. Um, he pieced him up on the feet. Court McGee is obviously not the prettiest striker, but Sean Brady was able to get to him. Um, with heavy, heavy punches, I think he's the heavier, the heavier striker compared to Nardiev. Uh, and Sean Brady, I think, will lean on his grappling when he needs to. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be able to always implement his, his takedown game, but I think he'll be able to be the more physical fighter here. And, and I think you're 100% right on that. When I'm thinking about Sean Brady in this fight, even if he's not able to get takedowns, but if he's able to put Nardiev up against the cage, sort of wear him out and beat him up there a little bit, I, I feel like it's going to cancel out a lot of like the like spinny, flashy stuff that Nardiev does or the hook kicks or the question mark kicks or things like that. And instead, it's going to make it so that Sean Brady gets his kind of like in-the-pocket boxing type fight. And, and I think he wins that nine times out of ten. So uh, I'm going to go with Brady. Uh, how do you see him winning this fight? I got Brady by decision, and I think you are 100% correct to be very excited about this fight. I think it will be a bit of a war. Yeah, I think it's going to be a war, too, and I'm also going to go with Brady by decision. I just think he's got what it takes to, to cancel out Nardiev. And that brings us to our last fight, which is maybe slightly less exciting than the last one, and that's uh, Grant Dawson, and he's going to be fighting Derek Miner, who is filling in for Chaz Skelly, who got canceled out of this fight, not once, but twice. Uh, Dawson, 2-0 in the UFC. He's got a decision win over Julian Arosa and a rear naked choke over Mike Trezano. Miner is going to be making his UFC debut with a sterling record of 24-10. and uh, He got choked out by Herbert Burns by triangle choke back on the Contender Series. But after that, he got back-to-back regional wins. Um, by first round choke, which are, are pretty impressive. So obviously he's a late fill-in here for Chad Skelly. Uh, let, let's put it this way. What does he have to offer that could possibly give Grant Dawson any problems? I mean, maybe that he has nothing to lose. Essentially, I think he's going to fight going to fight kind of recklessly here because he is definitely not expected to win. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. Like, if you're thinking about the things that Derek Miner can do, like, I, I like his grappling a little bit, but, like, if he's unable to grapple Herbert Burns from a top game position, right? Like, he got top control on Herbert Burns, and he couldn't do anything with it and got subbed. He's not going to have top game on Grant Dawson. Grant Dawson's 
offensive grappling is really impressive. And physically, he is so freaking strong. I, I know he's been working at the Performance Institute more. He's been getting more jacked. The kid looks enormous. I don't know if he'll be even able to stay in this division long term as big as he's getting. But I just can't see Derek Miner being able to do anything with that size and physicality. Uh, I'm going Grant Dawson. I'm going to say probably first round submission if he wants it, similar to the way that Herbert Burns won. Uh, how about you? I'm going to go Grant Dawson by by second round submission. Just looking down Derek Miner's record, that's uh, a common outcome for him. And every time he stepped up in, in competition. Um, and like you said, Grant Dawson is a top flight A1 prospect here. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for all six of the fights we're going to be covering. It's worth mentioning that there were possibly two other fights that we could have talked about here, although we are currently waiting late opponent fill-ins for uh, Luis Pena, who had uh, Munoz fall out of that fight, and Giga Chikadze, who is uh, waiting for a fill-in for Mike Davis, which I feel like he's been waiting for a fill-in for about two weeks, so it seems like both of those two might not get fights. But worth mentioning that those two could possibly be on the card, so keep an eye out for those as well. And in the meantime, enjoy the six that me and Ben broke down for you here. Ben, I want to thank you so much for joining me. I could not have done it without you. My pleasure.